good to be with you today, whether you're here in the room or wherever, whatever room you're in. And um, so as was mentioned, my name is Ed Sherman. Um, on campus, I go by Dr. Ed. Devin's gonna have to call me Dr. Ed when he's in class this semester, but the rest of you may just call me Ed until you enter my classroom. Uh, yeah, so it's hard to believe that I just finished my 10th year at LBC after um, we spent 23 years on the mission field in Southeast Asia. Uh, some of you may have, been, may have been around long enough when I first came here. Uh, it's been a while now that we spoke about on missions during a, a vacation Bible school for the adults. And it seems that when Tim goes on vacation, whether he's cycling or somewhere, that he sometimes calls upon me to come here. And so I'm glad again to be here with you guys. Um, we're gonna be looking at um, a portion of Paul's second missionary journey. We're gonna be in Acts chapter 16, and the, the title that I've given this is When Singing Changes the Story. And um, just a, a brief overview, when Acts 15 took place and they had come back at the end of chapter 14 and reported to the church uh, about what God had done on their first missionary journey, and then they had the council at Jerusalem, all these people coming to faith in Jesus Christ, even non-Jews, and we see, um, what are we going to do with those people? Well, we're happy about that, but we, are, we do have some concerns. Um, and then afterwards, Paul and Barnabas had a discussion about going back to encourage the churches that they had planted in the first journey. And as some of you re recall, there was a dispute that arose. It was so strong that they ended up separating and going and sending out two different teams. And so Paul took Silas with him to go and to encourage the churches. And you can uh, see where he's traveled all through that part of the world on the second journey there. And um, during this time, I mean, you think about how God used displays of his power and different methods to proclaim his word uh, to the world and how he continues to do that. I like to sometimes pair Acts 1-8 with 8-1. Um, Acts 1-8, Jesus says to the apostles, you shall receive what? power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and, and you shall be my witnesses, literally uh, in the Greek, martyrs, but you shall be my witnesses. And in four places, he says, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts. And so, of course, they went right away, right? No, they didn't. They stayed there in Jerusalem. And so then you fast forward a little bit to chapter 8, verse 1, and it says, a great persecution arose. And so they went to Judea and to Samaria, proclaiming the good news, the gospel message. And it was almost as though the Holy Spirit said, now some of you who are older will remember the old, I think it was Meineke commercial about mufflers, and it would say, we can do this the easy way, or we can do this the hard way. And the Holy Spirit almost seemed to be saying this to the apostles, look, we can do this the easy way, Okay, that didn't happen, so let me help you with some persecution to help you to obey the command to go and make disciples. And so as you go through the first half of the book of Acts, you see different ways that, that God used to get his message out there. Sometimes miracles, sometimes uh, in, Holy Spirit inventions, different things. And my point as we move into chapter, the, the middle here of, of the second missionary journey, is that when we see displays of God's power, combined with proclamation of his word, his glory is revealed. We just sang about 
uh, in that first song, there's a, comp there's a connection between displays of God's glory and recognition of his presence. We want to see your glory so that we can feel your presence. When we see displays of your glory, of your power, we recognize your presence. And so it is in today's episode, as we go into Acts chapter 16, we're going to look at three things, encountering the opponents of God, exalting the power of God, and encouraging the people of God, keeping in mind, again, that the second missionary journey's purpose initially was to encourage the um, churches that they had planted in the first missionary journey. When we were in China, um, we would see some of our students come to Christ, disciple them, and I tried to use some of this as a model. I would take some of, uh, later on, as so our students would graduate and go back to their hometowns in different parts of China, I took my what I called my Barnabas with me, and we went to visit students in different parts of the country to encourage them in their faith. And, uh, and so, so here are Paul and Silas going to do that. So I'm going to read here from Acts 16, the, verses 16 to 24, as we look at the first part, encountering the opponents of God. Keep in mind that this is right after Lydia's conversion. And so let me start in verse 16. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept us up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. Now, hold on a second here. Now, what was this terrible message that she was telling the people? These are men of the most high God telling you how to be saved. Oh, dear. How dare you say such a horrible message? <laughs> But it's interesting, even the name that she chose to use, these are men of the most high God. Think about the names that you use for God in your prayer. I often say you can tell a lot about a person's theology by their prayers, specifically the names of God that they use in their prayer life. Here she referred to them as followers of the most high God, which tells you about their situation. You know, there's other gods, but this is, they are followers of the Most High God. Telling you how to be saved. And after days of this, Paul turns around and casts out the demon. And look at the response, verses 19 and 21. When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the mar marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. They didn't break the law, but they did break some cultural norms. And look at our society right now and how cultural norms are being stretched and challenged. Laws are not necessarily being broke, but when we are, when our, the way we do things is challenged, we have a response, we respond. When we were in Thailand for so many years, you know, many Thais, most Thais are Buddhist. In fact, they would say, to be Thai is to be Buddhist. If you were to ask a Thai person, are you Buddhist? They would look at you strangely. What do you mean? Of course I'm Buddhist, I'm Thai. 
But their Buddhism is very nominal for the most part. It doesn't mean a lot to them during their day. To, but if you start talking to them about Jesus Christ, all of a sudden they start getting more t Buddhist, if you will, because you're pushing on part of their identity. And so here in, in this city, as the cultural norms are being pushed on, they start reacting. And not only that, it was a financial concern. They lost their income. But they didn't, didn't want to make it sound like, oh, we're just doing this because of our money. They pushed the charge of doing things that are unlawful. Well, they weren't unlawful, but it was countercultural. And so listen how the crowd joined in in verses 22 to 24. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Okay, so they are met with resistance. Not only resistance, they're put in prison. Not only are they put in prison, they are beaten and flogged, and not only in prison, but in the inner cell, and they're put in stocks. Okay, so let's, let's imagine this for a minute. As, as we go into this second part of this message, we talk about exalting the power of God. Imagine what it would be like to be in darkness. And the next, before I read verses 25 and following, the first two words there are about midnight. So at about midnight, in a prison, in the inner cell of the prison, it's pretty dark. It's not pretty dark. It's, I don't see my hand in front of me, dark. Have you ever been in that kind of darkness other than with your eyes closed? It's a little bit unsettling. Imagine being in that setting, having already been beaten and severely flogged, and it's getting dark, dark, dark. In fact, why don't you close your eyes and just listen for a moment? As you're in this situation, and the jailer is out there, other prisoners are in their cells, and in the inner cell are Paul and Silas, what do you hear? You hear them singing. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures, hear me low. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. You may open your eyes just to catch a little bit of a glimpse, you hear these beaten men singing hymns. Let me read verses 25 to 28. At about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. We are here. We are here. We are here. 
There's so much in this passage here. Let's unpack it a little bit. First of all, what was the jailer doing? He was sleeping. And he woke up. Now, when Paul and Silas, they were singing hymns. Thinking about hymns are praises to God. Very specific songs. We have psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And in fact, uh, in Ephesians 5, um, Paul, in verse 18, Paul talks about um, being filled with the Spirit. And one of the first evidences of being filled with the Spirit, in verse 19, he says, Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. That as you are walking under the influence of the Holy Spirit, one of the evidences will be you're singing. You're praising God with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Likewise, the same author, Paul, in Colossians chapter 3, that chapter about setting your minds on things above, talks, it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach, admonish, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your heart. Now, I don't know where you feel most comfortable singing. For mo many of you, it may even be the shower or in the car. Some of you have gifted singing voices, and it's wonderful to be around you when you sing. Some of us who are less talented in our vocal range make a joyful sound. But that, regardless of whether you're gifted musically or not, we have to praise God. How can we not praise God? The more we see Him in His glory, our response is to praise Him. And if ever there was a case to praise Him in spite of our circumstances, here it is right here in Acts chapter 16. Beaten, flogged, in stocks. And yet, as they were praising God, and the prisoners were listening while the jailers slept, things shook. Stocks came off. Things opened up. And as the jailer wakes up, he is about to kill himself because, he, you know, his command was to guard them carefully. And if they were gone, it was his head. Stop, we're here. Don't kill yourself. That's the setting. If you were the jailer, what would your next question be to Paul and Silas? Wouldn't it be something like, what just happened? What did you do? But what was his question? Let's read verses 29 and 30. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And here is my key point for today, if you take nothing away from this. What questions are people asking you? The questions that are asked of you will be determined by what they see and what they hear in your presence. Keep in mind that this jailer, he knew why they were in prison. Because they had cast out the demon from this girl who was you know, saying things and predicting the future and earning money for her owners. And they, the jailer knew this, and he also knew what had just happened, the display of God's power. They had heard the proclamation of his word. They saw, he saw a display of God's power, and now he wants to know one thing. What must I do to be saved? 
Think about the people in your, in your realm of influence. What questions do they ask you today, these days? What questions would you want them to ask you? What is it going to take for them to ask you the questions that you want them to ask? What are you saying in their presence? What are they seeing in your life that would draw them to Christ, that would draw them to you to ask about Christ? Continuing on, verses 31 to 34. They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his family were baptized. The, the jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. This is something that's a little bit difficult for us as Americans we see we are an individualistic society. And we read, you shall be saved, you and your household. Wait a minute. He becomes saved, so his whole family is saved? No, 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 no. That's an individual decision, right? My salvation decision doesn't mean that all my family are saved. But keep in mind, this is a collective society. And as such, when the head of the house makes a decision... He will go home and influence his family. And that's exactly what we see in this passage. He took them from the prison to his home, cleansed them, fed them, had them preach the gospel to his family. They believed. They were baptized. This is all in one night. At midnight, the singing took place around midnight. By morning, the family had been baptized. Not a bad night's work for a missionary. But we here are, again, very individualistic. If I may, I think it's what we have our, our oldest daughter and son-in-law and two grandchildren live in Thailand right now. They're, they met in Thailand as MKs. They've returned. They are serving there. And um, Thailand has pretty much wiped out the uh, virus. Why? Because they are a collective society. And when the government says, as a nation, we're going to do this, they say, okay, we will do this. Because they have a collective, what is it about us? How do we function as a... Uh, uh, compare these statements. Descartes, is fam fam uh, as a philosopher, was famous for saying, I think, therefore I am. Right? The African proverb is, we are, therefore I am. We are, therefore I am. My identity is part of our collective. Whereas we tend to say here in America, what are my rights? A collective society says, what is our purpose? And when you start to gather an understanding of a collective society, it's easier to understand how this jailer could go home and say, we are going to follow Jesus Christ. And they together get baptized in a collective decision and a collective point of action. The word here, you and your household, that word household comes from the Greek word oikos. Not about yogurt. Okay. 
It's oikos is your household, your sphere of influence. And I would like you to think about what is your oikos? Who are the people in your relational world? And what questions are they asking you? And how are you impacting your oikos, your relational world? Well, let's, let's continue on and, and wrap this up to see what, uh, how this chapter uh, finishes up. Beginning in verse 35, we go to the third part here where we see that they encourage the people of God. Remember, that's the whole purpose of the second missionary journey. When it was daylight, again, this all took place in one night. The magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. This is good news, right? Well, if you know anything about Paul, he doesn't do things the easy way. And he doesn't shy away from exerting his citizenship. Verse 37, but Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens and threw us into prison. And now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No. Let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. Please, please do not come back. Please leave. Please. We never want to see you again. After Paul and Silas came out of prison, they went to Lydia's house, who had just been converted, remember, where they met with the brothers and encouraged them. Then they left. When I teach at LBC and, and at my mission statement for really over about 30 years now, um, I, I have a mission statement for my life. It says, it goes like this. I seek to glorify God by empowering others to do what God has called them to do through the ministries of encouragement, exhortation, and equipping. Encouragement, how can I help you continue doing what you're doing well? Exhortation, we need to stop and talk about something. Maybe it's sin or strategy or something that's keeping you from doing what God wants you to do. Or equipping, what tools can I put in your hands to help you do what God's called you to do? This first one, encouragement, though, is what Paul was focusing on this second missionary journey. And even in this episode, having just seen the jailer's family come to Christ, he did not lose sight of his purpose of this journey. That was to encourage the brethren in their faith. And he right there encouraged uh, Lydia and the others that had come to faith. And then they continued on their journey. And I would like to encourage, even exhort you, to think about who you could encourage today in their faith. How can you think about helping others to continue doing what they are doing well? To conclude, I want to focus on three things. And like a good American preacher, it's alliterated. Three Ps. Okay? Prayer, power, and proclamation. Look at how prayer was so important in this, in this passage. Even go back to the very beginning when Paul and Barnabas were first called into the uh, missionary uh, uh, task that God called them to. In Acts chapter 13... Verses 1, 2, and 3, you see the elders of the church praying, worshiping. And as they were worshiping, praying, the Holy Spirit said to them, set apart Paul and Barnabas for the work that I have for them. 
while they, the elders were praying. Can you imagine the elders of this church praying and hearing from the Holy Spirit, we want this person to go to country X, and, what they, and they were to approach you and say, you know what, we've been praying, and we really feel that God has called you to go to country X. How do you think you would respond to that? Well, my guess is that if it truly was of God, that you would not be surprised. Because you would probably be thinking, oh, so that's what's been going on. The Holy Spirit's been doing something in me as well, and I wasn't quite sure what it was. And now the Holy Spirit's speaking to the elders. God's at work here. Because they're in prayer, because you are in prayer. And as we are in prayer, we hear from God. But then in Acts chapter 16, where were they going when this whole part of the chapter 16? They were going to the place of prayer. When they were in the prison, while they were praying and worshiping, much of our spiritual growth takes place while we are praying. And I don't know any Christian that would say, my prayer life is exactly where I want it to be. I think each of us, in one way or another, could grow in our prayer life. Prayer is a big part of spiritual warfare. It puts us in a posture of submission to God's sovereignty. We call him Lord because he is Lord. Have you ever heard someone say, we need to make him Lord of our lives? Well, newsflash, he already is Lord. What we really mean is, I need to yield to his lordship. Because he already is Lord. And prayer helps us to do that. Secondly is the role of power in confirming the preaching of God's word. Think back to in the Old Testament when Elijah had called down fire. What was his prayer? God, show yourself so that they may know that you are a God. That phrase, that they may know, pops up several times in the Old Testament, as well as the New Testament. You look in the book of Acts, and almost always when you see a display of God's power, it gives credibility to the preaching of his word. The displays of his power give credibility to the preaching of his word. And, you know, you can preach God's word, but it is so much more effective when you see God's power at work. And how do we demonstrate God's power today? I believe, we, again, we go back to prayer. As we share with others, let me tell you about what I've been praying and how God has answered that prayer. We are also showing them how God is powerful and how his power is at work in our lives. Um, that, that word, that, that they may know, is a demonstrative pronoun. When I was in uh, my master's degree program, uh, teaching English as a second language, which we did in China, um, I did a, an entire paper on the word that. Old English, Middle English, Modern English word that. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, that. That that is going to tell us how God loved the world. That he gave his one and only son. That, whosoever believeth in him should not perish but, also, but have eternal life. One of my favorite sentences as writing that paper was, he said that 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 I used was wrong. 
The word that is really important. Why does God, when God displays his power, he does it that people will feel his presence or know more about him. Think about the very first time that Jesus revealed some of his glory in John chapter 2, the first miracle of changing water into wine. And in, at the end of that passage, it says, Jesus revealed his glory to them, and they believed. It's almost like he just went, I can't show you a lot of my glory, I'm just going to show you a little bit. There, did you see it? This is not a normal thing. This is God, and they believed in him because of the display of his power. And how do we get to display his power and then finally, proclamation. This is where I most want to exhort you and encourage you. All too often, we Americans fall short of the proclamation of his word. We feel that, well, they see my life. You know the old saying, you know, preach the gospel when necessary, use words. It's always necessary to use words because if, okay, some of you have heard me say this before, the story of the farmer who was a Christian who lived a very good life one day his neighbor came up to him and said, you know, I've noticed something different about you. Are you a vegetarian? Okay, I need to use words. Yes, I need to live a life that demonstrates something different and God's power, but I also need to proclaim his word, the truth of who he is. When you think about your oikos, your, your influential, your realm of influence, what does that look like? I have a couple of pictures of different parts of the world, satellite pictures taken at nighttime. And while they are pictures of light, so the first one is of New York City, where it is very bright. And I use this to reference a realm where most of your people that you know are all Christians. They have the light. In fact, it's very difficult to find some darkness. This is a challenge. And we Christians sometimes get wrapped up in all relationships that are our believers. And we need to encourage one another, yes, of course. But we also need to make ourselves available and, uh, around those who don't know. The second picture is uh, somewhat less light in there. This is Saudi Arabia. But the third one is, you can see between China and South Korea, North Korea, and it is very, very dark. And again, my point here simply is, what does your relational world look like? Do you have access to those who do not know Jesus Christ, who do not have the light? And how can you make yourself available to them? The Holy Spirit guided proclamation of God's word, plus displays of God's power, plus the Holy Spirit working in the other's hearts, equals God's glory seen in new believers and disciples. I want to close with Paul's prayer that he wrote to the, the church at Philippi. When he was in prison, Philippians chapter 1 begins, and he's writing to this church that he has, I mean, this episode took place in Philippi. Can you imagine every time thinking back to that place, the memory of what just happened in the prison? And this is how he chose to pray. So I'm going to read uh, the first 11 verses of Philippians. Paul and Timothy, servants of, Jesus, of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. 
In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify, testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And now listen to his prayer. And I pray this for you and for myself. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ, Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Father, thank you for this passage. Thank you that you love us so much that you sent Jesus. Thank you for the example of Paul and Silas. Help us to be men and women of faith, to praise you, even in the difficult times, perhaps especially in the difficult times, that the preaching of our word, of, you, of who you are, may be accompanied by displays of your power so that people will come to know you in a personal way. In Jesus' name, amen.